and welcome back to yet another episode of Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Lynn Elias, film critic and creator and host of this glorious show. Uh, you can find me here every Monday, 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on AdrenalineRadio.com and AdviceRadio.com. And we are on iTunes. And we shoot to camera with a full edit so you can see videos later in the week, which is a lot more fun when we have in-studio guests instead of calling in. But today, this is a week many of you have been waiting for. After last week with Ian Buchanan here talking about One Night in Hollywood, as well as, of course, General Hospital. Um, This week, for all of you General Hospital fans out there, we have Jeffrey Vincent Paris, and as you all know, he plays he plays and is currently still playing Carlos Rivera on General Hospital, as we all got a big treat on Friday when, as the writers have done with Ian's character of Duke Lavery, brought him back ghosting people. Now we have Jeffrey back on General Hospital ghosting people. So it's going to be interesting uh, to get Jeffrey's take on the show and his character and how many more times uh, his fans can see him on GH. But this is, this is like a soap opera alum show today as we've got four people that are all in this new film, BFFs. It is charming. It is poignant. It is funny. It is written by Tara Carcian uh, and Andrea Grano. Uh, co-writers and producers. They also star in the film. Uh, all of you old Hollywood people may know that Tara's mother is none other than the glorious comedian Pat Carroll. And Pat herself is in the film. So we're going to find out what it's like for daughter to write for mom and work with her. Also joining us from BFFs is, of course, Jeffrey Vincent Priest and then Dan Gauthier. And we're, 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 we're not playing favorites here with soap opera alum because Andrea uh, previously played on Young and the Restless. Uh, Jeffrey also was on Days of Our Lives. In addition to GH, Dan Gauthier was on One Life to Live and All My Children. So, and I think Dan's wife was also had a small role in General Hospital back in the 1990s. So it's a fun, 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 fun time today. And then a woman I am just so anxious to talk to, director Susanna White. Many of you may know her one, one of her most famous films, Nanny McPhee Returns. Uh, but she's going to be here today in the last quarter hour talking about her new film, Our Kind of Traitor. Um, this is a to- We're not used to seeing women come in and direct spy thrillers. If you're Catherine Bigelow, yes. Um, but it's very rare to see women be able to take the the directorial helm for a spy thriller. And Our Kind of Traitor is based on, it is adapted from a John Le Carre book, uh, Our Kind of Traitor. And it has very timeless quality. And Susanna, uh, she worked with Ewan McGregor in Nanny McPhee Returns. Ewan McGregor stars in Our Kind of Traitor along with Naomi Harris, Damian Lewis, uh, Stellan Skarsgård, who delivers a tour de force, unforgettable performance as we uh, have intrigue beyond belief with the Russian mafia and just a plain old average uh, college professor uh, and really sets up a great emotional dynamic. So we're going to talk to Susanna 
about that when we get her on the line a little later on in the show. But first, before we get there, Brian, are you, are you slipping on your weekly duties? Uh-oh. No, I got it. Okay. Up here. I got my dates. Uh, now, now tell everybody what you're, for the new listeners, let them know what your, what your dates are. Okay. Well, for le- new listeners, congratulations on finding one of the best podcasts out there. Pat yourself on the back for that. <laughs> um, we, I am in charge, very big duty, of giving the countdown of the days remaining until Star Wars Episode Eight releases. <gasps> oh. And I notice a trend every week that it's seven days less every single time I give it. Isn't isn't that amazing? It's it's I don't I'm trying to figure out why that is, but <laughs> we have 535 days, 12 hours, 54 minutes, and as soon as I am done with this sentence, 30 seconds to go until the release of Star Wars Episode Eight. But if you're impatient like I am, the other wait for Rogue for Rogue One is a little bit better. It's uh, 171 days, 12 hours, and 54 minutes to go until that one's released. And by any chance, did you see Entertainment Weekly did an amazing spread on Rogue One, either in last week's uh, edition or this week's? Did you by any chance see that? I am a proud subscriber of Entertainment Weekly, so I got it in the mail on Thursday, actually. I didn't know that they were – I mean, I had read that they had confirmed Darth Vader was supposed to be in the movie. But I got the the new character layout, as you said. It's awesome. Awesome. And how exciting is it for you and I as big Star Wars fans that Darth Vader will be in Rogue One? It's... it kind of brings everything full circle again. It feels very complete now. It's it's definitely going to be a prequel with such a, a great character. You know, because I could, I could do without Luke and Leia and all those characters because they're introduced later on. But Darth Vader was a prominent figure immediately starting episode four. Yeah. A New Hope. So it's cool to have him return in that role, have him back. Because this will now fill in the gap between Sith and New Hope. Yeah, I had a, I had a lot of people asking me over the weekend what where this film fits and it as you as you said it fits before New Hope and it, and it ha, it's not going to feature Kylo Ren, it's not going to fit feature Rey or 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 uh, Finn and either Cuz they have they haven't been born yet. Yeah, they are they are not introduced they are not <laughs> available for this film, you know. <laughs> so it, if you remember from a New Hope when they had the Death Star plans already in place, this is how they uh, the the rebels were able to get those plans, so Well, good. I know everybody is looking forward to this. I am especially looking forward to it. You more so. Oh, yeah. I'm waiting. I know. I'm waiting 171 days to roll one. Oh, my God. But, yes, for your up-to-the-minute Star Wars countdown, every Monday, Brian will have that for you because he likes to do it, and I let him. But there's also some another podcast that you may all want to start listening to. Brian, why don't you tell us about that one? Uh, thank you. Um yeah, I started a podcast recently. I finally was inspired by everybody else who, who has done it because they seem to have such a good time and I wanted to be a part of that fun. It's called Nothing in Particular Podcast. We're on every Monday at 5 p.m., so about five hours after your program, six hours. And you're also live. Yeah, we are live, 5 p.m. Uh, it's podcasting. We're looking to join, join on iTunes to make it a little bit easier, but I want to thank you for giving me the, the plug and the shout-out. And we play your commercial in the show, so... We, oh, we, we, uh, we support each other. But, yeah, if you want any more information about us, look up Nothing in Particular podcast show on Facebook. 
uh, you know, it's an entertainment show, but I, I have a lot of fun with it. Thank you for letting me plug that in to of course. everybody because I know a lot of people. Well, and something else that a lot of people don't get is so many podcasts are all pre-recorded. Ours, my, not this is a live radio show. Yours is a live radio show, and then they're archived as podcasts after the fact. Yeah, but we we are live right now to everybody who's listening. Hello, but and everyone who's listening after the podcast. Hello, we appreciate everybody. But yeah, the, what makes us stand out is that there is a live interaction with our program as well as yours. We have live callers calling in. These people call in, and they're they're here at the time that we're saying so. Thank you for the plug. You know, thank you for the Star Wars thing. I appreciate everything that you've done for me in the past year and a half. And let's go on with the show. Well, we wouldn't have we wouldn't have behind the lens if I didn't have you back there, Brian. And I've so. only missed one show. That's true. Yeah. So I've been good for the last it, year and a half. For which I'll never forgive you. But we won't go there. But let, as you said, let's kick into to today's show. And before we get all of our illustrious guests in here today, I want to talk about. Uh, what has become my guilty pleasure uh, on television this season. I have always enjoyed it, but even more so this season, The Last Ship on TNT. Um, it is, it's an outstanding film. Stars Eric Dane, Adam Baldwin, the wonderful Bren Foster, uh, and a new character this year, Al Curranel. And Al is... He's an amazing, amazing guy. I had the pleasure of sitting down and, and interviewing him in an exclusive one-on-one uh, two weeks ago, talking about not only The Last Ship, but his entree into acting and his background, which is one of the most spectacular backgrounds I think I've ever heard. Uh, a, a role could not have been more tailor-made for anybody than Al and his character of Manuel Castillo in The Last Ship. He is a new antagonist. Uh, shall we say, uh, this season, because Al himself was in the Marine Corps for eight years. So this became a big part of our conversation. But we got started talking about, of course, The Last Ship and the creator Stephen Kane. And Stephen Kane did a really good job of keeping us in the dark as the season progressed. Um, Because when I first got cast, I thought, oh, one, maybe two episodes and then it became, it snowballed into something that I had no idea, mm-hmm. had not seen coming or anticipated or, you know, you keep a relative uh, idea of, you know, I'll take what I get and be thankful for yeah. it. And he definitely showered us with with some uh, amazing Easter eggs. <laughs> and there's so much more that they can do with it, given that it's the on a global scale. So, you know, we're just talking about China in this season, but, you know, what about the other countries like, you know, Great Britain or, you know, the UK or Australia, you know, I want to know what happened to, you know, Bren's side of the world where, you know. Yeah, what happened down under. Exactly. So, you know, there's, there's a lot going on. And then, of course, there's, there seems to be two potential storylines going on this Mm -hmm. season. So there's a lot. For fans alike, to do they gravitate more towards what's going on on the military side, or right. more towards the political side, and how those two yeah. converge or collide? Collide, yeah. yes. And for those of you that haven't had a chance to see the last ship yet, it's on TNT every Sunday night at nine o'clock, and it's now in its third season. It began as a premise of the last ship. There was an epidemic that was killing the entire world. 
Uh, and over the past two seasons, a cure was finally found uh, with everybody decimated, civilizations, government structures wiped out. It, there has been a lot of turmoil and unrest, not, not unlike what we live in every day. Uh, but now the cure has been found. It's being disseminated. Of course, there's black marketeering going on. There's piracy going on. And as of right now, uh, the, the crew of the last ship, 13 of them have been, I think 13 of them have been taken hostage. Some have already met a demise. Uh, so we're going to see how this plays out and where Al's character comes into play in the machinations of this kidnapping, so to speak. But after briefly talking about the last ship, Al got into his background by way of the military authenticity within the show itself. Well, I spent I spent eight years in the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. When I got out of the Marine Corps at the rank of sergeant, while I was in the Marine Corps, I would watch movies and shows that were portraying the military, and we were always very meticulous about, that's wrong. Oh, that, that actor's wearing his ribbons or his awards incorrectly. The uniform's not being worn correctly. What he's saying isn't how we would speak. And watching this show, season one and two, I thought, wow, they're really doing a good job of portraying the Navy. Because mm-hmm. the Marine Corps is the Department of the Navy, so I did spend some time on board ships. And I thought to myself, they're really doing a great job of making sure that the vernacular, that the, the chain of command, and the way that they communicate between one another is authentic. My first day on set, mm-hmm. I saw everybody in costume and wardrobe wearing the uniforms. And I saw this one gentleman who didn't look like an actor, but he was in uniform. Older gentleman, graying hair, had the headphones on. And I thought, oh, I wonder what he does in that. Went up and talked to him. I said, well, what do you do on the show? I'm the liaison to the Department of the Navy. Excuse me? So you're really in the military? He said, yeah, I'm in the military. My job here is to make sure that what's being said on screen and what's on the script is mirroring the customs and courtesies of the Navy. Mm. And I thought, it's about time. Because I have seen some shows where it's like, "Mm, that wasn't right. Who's their advisor? They had an advisor on set at all times. And during some of the battle, the combat scenes, which, which I wasn't involved with, uh, they did have prior service, prior Navy SEALs that came in mm-hmm. that were, in some instances, put into the scene to bring that sense of realism mm-hmm. where they're the real thing. And they made sure that the actors were portraying it as it should be, as it would be done in combat. Well, we're going to get back to some more of Al later in the show, time permitting, because right now we have with us the fabulous writers and stars of BFFs, Tara Carcian and Andrea Grano. Are you there, ladies? I are. Oh, we're both here. That's exciting. Isn't that exciting? The magic magic of technology. (laughs) Now, are you both at least in Los Angeles or are you scattered about the world? No, we are both in Los Angeles. In the heat. In In the heat. heat. I'm sorry. So am I. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're all sharing in the misery together, which is good. That's right. You know, luckily they have the air conditioner on in the studio today. So I have. I'm coming over. To, I'm coming over to the studio, Debbie Lynn. Okay. You got. You guys can. You guys can come to Whittier anytime you feel like driving to Whittier. I never ask anybody to drive to Whittier. <laughs> we appreciate you very much. <laughs> well, I have to say, I this is. Funny, 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 funny. BFFs is just fabulous. Thank you so much. 
And it has so much heart. And I've already watched it twice. Really? Yeah. That's so cool. Because I, and there's so many little things that you do. You have an amazing cast. Uh, yes. That is a great, and you know, we won't even get into how incredible it is, Tara, for you to be working with your mom. And that's all due to Andrea. Andrea was the one who pushed to make sure that my mother was in the movie. Uh, your so mother didn't left. push? <laughs> no, but now, now she, she keeps calling me every few weeks going, what's the next project you guys are doing? And I need a bigger role this time. Yes, oh, my God. <laughs> true. Oh, yeah, my she, God. How, because you both started out as actresses. Now, this is your first script that's actually been produced and, and making it onto into a film. What led you to this project and, co- and you know, this whole idea and then sitting down and writing it? Was it because you couldn't find roles that, you re- that really appealed to you? It's a great question, was, Andrea. Yeah, that's a great question. I think that was part of it. I think it's, you know, it's 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 hard sometimes to get a, a perfect role. Um, Tara was working a lot at the time. I was looking for a script, and uh, we always wanted to work together. And we had a sort of, I think the, the truest thing in the movie is the back and forth thing that the two characters do. Tara and I do that in life. <laughs> um, and so we banter a lot, and we wanted to do something together. So we had this idea for a short um, that came out of us bantering, and when we went to write the short, it just was impossible. We just thought, okay, this needs to be a feature. We, I don't know that we set out, we didn't sit down one day and say, you and I should do a, fe- a feature together. That, that part sort of flowed, I think. Don't you think, Tara? Yeah, I do. We sort of lucked into um, a writing process as a duo, which was easier than it should have been, I think, now that we know better, <laughs> <laughs> now that we really know how hard it is to write. Um, the first one was a really pleasant experience. We had a great time writing it. How were the rewrites, Tara? Did you enjoy The rewrites almost ended our friendship. (laughs) (laughs) But writing the script was great. (laughs) What was your process for writing? Did you two get in the same room together? I know some some co-writers, one will be on one continent, one on the other. They'll just email back and forth and never shall the twains meet. Uh, (laughs) No, we've... I think we felt that it was very uh, important for us to be in the same room. And so we would schedule, we finished the script rather quickly. I mean, but we would schedule usually between three and four hours per week to be in the same room. And it just, we we figured it out really quickly. We got into a, okay, I'm, hold on. I'm at a theater right now rehearsing something and someone's screaming. Kara's in a play. She's rehearsing. She stepped out. So she called. But we sat together in Tara's room <laughs> at her house, and uh, we would. Uh, we had. It's pretty. Oh my gosh! Looking back, it's sort of silly. We did the whole, you know, index cards, scene by scene, who the characters were, and then we'd lay them out like we pretended we were real writers, and then, um, and then we just did it. And sometimes we'd flip flop a scene. We go, oh, that's better here. A lot changed from our original idea, but not that much, actually. The ending went through the most changes, except the yes. very, very end, which we always knew should be that. The very, very end is fabulous. It just Thank you. With the coin toss, and it ends there. So anything could have happened. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I just, I just thought that was so clever, so original. I love films that leave you guessing like that, so that no matter what your mindset... Somebody's got, everybody's going to be happy. 
You would think so. Some people got upset. Some people who are like hardcore romantics wanted to see the sort of, you know, the typical bow ending of a romantic comedy. Um, but but that but I think they were upset in a good way. That's what I tell myself, Evelyn. Hey, I, I wanted to, I wanted to see Samantha end up with the with the hunky you know plumber guy with the toilet plunger. That's BFF two. Where Tara? Wait, why why is she ending up with him? You didn't want to see me end up with him. I wanted to see oh. you end up with somebody, but there wasn't anybody there that I felt was equal to you. Oh, see, wow, <laughs> wow. There was if you were going to end up with anybody, I would like to have seen you end up with with Jeffrey's character of Scott. Oh, well, I, I don't think their marriage, their marriage wasn't going to work out anyway. That's so. just it. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> your right. You know, how do you want for the sequel to write? <laughs> so you get the funny one and I get the cutie. Not that Jeff's not cute. Let's be honest. Let's, oh my God, but adorable. of course, doesn't he look a lot hotter now than he did when, when you made this film? Oh, you uh, think so? Oh, think- now he's got the whole bad boy vibe going yeah, on. That's true. That's true. He does. So, see, Tara, Tara really is going to get the better end of the deal here. God, Are we allowed so to say this? Do you know Jeff's, Jeff's mom ha- asked him to thank us for giving him a role where he wasn't playing a jerk? <laughs> where he <Aww>. was playing <laughs> She thanked us. I thought that was very cute. Uh, well, you know, Jeff and Dan are both on after you guys today. We, we I know. know. And if they say anything mean about us, I want you to call us and tell us, okay? Oh, yeah. I, I promise. I, I know that Tim will give me your direct emails so that I will be able to reach you immediately. <laughs> Great. To, to let you know. Now, how did you go about, I find your construct of the couples that you have and this whole idea of closer to closeness <laughs> and going on this retreat yeah, bringing in Richard Mall and Jenny O'Hara, that is pure genius. The two mm-hmm. of them are—they just light up the screen. Yeah, great. So you have the old, the old married couple. You've got the definitely traumatized, never going to last. You know, David and Rebecca, played by Dan Gauthier and Molly Hagen, and then you've got Larissa and Jeffrey, and that one's never going to last either. <laughs> yeah, you know, which will leave the one Scott open for for you know Cat. Yeah, not with Cat around, not with Cat breaking that up. So how did you, because you could have come up with so many different couplings, but you've got everything covered here, and then you have the two gay guys. You've got everything covered. Well, you know what? I think half of it was was in the script, but the other half was the brilliant actors. You know, I think they brought so much to it. I mean, Andrea, don't you think that they, they... they just bettered our script. Oh, one hundred percent. They elevated. They, you know what? They made sure that those characters were not just these sort of two-dimensional ideas. But we did. We went into it knowing we needed care, like couples that would make it very difficult for Cat and Sam to leave. Very difficult for Cat and Sam to make fun of this experience because we didn't want a typical, you know. Well, I don't mean to make fun of it, but couples retreat where everyone else is an idiot except the two, you know, the leads. Mm-hmm. Um, and but then what they did is they filled it out so much that they became so sympathetic and so well rounded without a lot to do. I mean, we gave them as much as as we could in, in a short script, but but I think they were they really elevated it. I mean, yeah. just absolutely fat. And as I said, you know, Richard and Jenny just <laughs> uh, there there are no words for what they bring when they are on screen. Just one look and oh, look from Jenny, and it's like you feel the sympathy. You, you empathize with, 
you know, whatever, whoever is screwing up now. Uh-huh. They're just brilliant, aren't they? They're oh. just wonderful to watch. You know, how, I'm like a how, Jenny O'Hara fan for sure. How hard was it to cast this film? And especially for you, Tara, you know, knowing, coming out of the comedic gene pool as you have come from, does that not raise the bar for you when you're, when you're looking at other actors and working with other actors? Um, I think so. I think I, I'm, I'm, I'm a big talent. I have a big talent crush on a lot of people. I, I just love talent. Um, you know, which is why I did the movie with Andrea. Oh, oh see yeah. how you did that? Look nice. at I see that. how I did that. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I think the amazing part was that in the casting process, the people that came in, that we were a low-budget film, and the fact that these people were reacting to the script and agreeing to come in and read, mm-hmm. that was so humbling for us. And they were all so good. We had set, the difficulty in casting this film is we had so many choices. Mm-hmm. That's true. That was, I would know, say, though, Tara so, and I, Tara, like, I think Tara, what, well, comedians are very funny. But comedians as actors sometimes are into improv, and there's a loosey goosiness about it that can work for a very broad comedy. And if you notice, everyone in our script really are actors who are funny. They're not comedians. Right. Wouldn't you say, Tara, that's was kind of yeah, the thing? Yeah. Well, another thing that you ladies have going for you with this film and your casting is that so many of you come out of daytime television and soap operas where it's move at a rapid pace and so many directors I've spoken with and actors I've spoken with find that that really helps when you're doing indie films and these low budget no budgets and you're on such time constraints oh that's true that would help that's genius Oh, my gosh. We're only casting daytime soap people in our next one. (laughs) This will be a nine-day shoot instead of 15. I'm telling Um, you, you know, when they can go through 20 pages in a day, this is what you need. I'll tell you, I have such respect for you. I think, Andrea, you you started doing Young and the Restless after this movie, didn't you? I did. Actually, I never booked a soap until I did this movie. I guess it trained me for soap. Um, But I have a lot of respect for them. It's like doing live theater. They have to learn so much, remember it, do it. They get one or two takes, and they're done. it's insane. We had we gave them maybe one extra take than that, right, Kara? Three. That's all they get. Yeah, we were we were very kind to them. <laughs> you know, giving them more giving them more than one take is extremely kind. I well, think we're they, good they people. Deserve. I think yeah. I think that proves what good people we are. Uh, you know, I I have to heartily agree with you on that one. Thank you. You know, I really now you're producing our next one because you get it, obviously. I, I get it, I, you know, and I do produce stuff, so I'm happy to talk to you about coming on and, and working with you on a project. Okay. Perfect. Oh my God, it's it's done. It's a done deal. <laughs> you know, but now you guys, because you're producing this, so you're wearing all kinds of hats. You're acting, you're writing, you're producing. What was that learning curve, that triumvirate learning curve, like for you, <laughs> Tara? Um, we, uh, as, as Andrea likes to tell the story and it's true, we were actually meeting with producers and they finally were saying, you know, you've already done most of the producing. So, um, we kind of just jumped into the producing part. It was truly an amazing experience because I think we've learned so much as actors, what we don't want on mm-hmm. a set. And, um, that was one of 
my favorite parts of it was the producing part and and Andrea and I both have our strengths in different areas. So it worked out kind of geniusly. Geniusly, oh my god, I just made up a word. You did, and I'm gonna call Webster's and make sure it's put in there like bootylicious. Um but we also uh Geniusly is better than bootylicious. I, I yeah. Oh clearly. my god, I love this she's woman the best producer ever. <laughs> she's very supportive. <laughs> I really like and her. And she's got me with Jeffrey in the sequel. And she has you with Jeffrey, and I'm with Eric Lively. It's going to be gorgeous. <laughs> um, I think anticipating the producing was scarier than the actual producing, because there was this sort of mythical job we thought somebody would come in and swoop in and do for us, but unfortunately, <laughs> that fell on us. I think the only weird thing is we'd be in the middle of a scene, and then someone would come up to us and say, hey, you want to trade in the three-ton truck for the five-ton? And we'd pretend, you know. We knew what the heck they were talking about and make a decision and then go back to work. So it was, um, it was enlightening. I learned, and Tara, Tara and I both learned so much about producing on this film. What would you say is the greatest thing that you learned, the most important thing that you learned about producing that you can take with you into your future projects? Ooh. I'll, uh, say, mine. I'll say mine, which is surround yourself, make sure we had a very, um, strict, no blank hole zone. Um, and we surrounded ourselves with really incredible people and there was laughter and all the time. And you don't find that on sets. So we were blessed that way. And I just say, make sure that you are surrounded with the best people possible. I concur on that. I think I'm just on the uh, icky business side of things. I realized producing doesn't stop once the movie's edited. And obviously there's the whole selling it. So now going into a movie, I would, I think Karen and I would both know to start that process right. a little sooner. Um, that's the icky part. But, I mean, we were really fortunate in that we learned you can produce a film from next to no money and still make it fun and still make it an enjoyable experience. I think I would take that into every project we did. So what is next for the two of you? Oh, my God, now you sound like my mother. Um, <laughs> true, every day, every week, right? What are you writing? What are you doing? True. Look, you um, got to keep Pat out there in front of every generation of audiences. Come on now. Isn't that true? No, and she just turned 89. Can you believe? Oh, my God. 89. Um, and still as funny and sweet as ever. Um, Truly. We are, we've got a couple of ideas for actually television. Okay. So, Yeah. So we'll see. We'll absolutely see. But we're just we're we're trying to get this one done and out there and finished and all of that good thing. And you know, well, it is finished, Tara. We finished it. Did you not know? <laughs> no. Why well, we the can. Tell me. Oh yeah, in the can. Oh, done. God. Okay. So now, where? Because <laughs> sadly, I'm going to have to let you ladies go because the gentlemen are on hold, and we we, oh. we will use the term loosely. Okay. Well, I'm not going to say that. Um, yes. So every, I'm going to push the movie. Watch it. You can get it on iTunes, Amazon, uh, on demand. And coming in August, you can see it on Dish and DirecTV. <gasps> Isn't that exciting? And if you go to our website, which is uh, bffthemovie.com, there's links to a couple of those things um, and information and updates. So I have to ask you, will you two come back on the show in August when, when we're hitting DirecTV? Oh, my we gosh. Love, love to. I would love to have you guys come back on in August so that we can give another push when it hits, you know, direct TV. Thank you. And I only, and, and remember, if the boys are rude about us at all, you'll call us. Yes, you right? will know immediately. I promise. Okay. 
Lady, thank you so <laughs> much. I will talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thank you. Bye-bye. That was that was Tara Carcian and Andrea Grano, co-writers, producers, and actresses, stars of BFFs. And now we have two more fabulous stars of BFFs, Jeffrey Vincent Paris and Mr. Gauthier. Are you there, boys? Yes. Uh I yes. Okay. Wow, that's weird. <laughs> Now, now, Jeff, Jeffrey has already been warned about what happened on the show last week. What? Oh, with Ian. We had Ian Buchanan on last week. So yes. now I've got to ask you, all the General Hospital fans out there will kill me if I don't get this out of the way right now, especially after what we all saw on Friday with Carlos Rivera. What is what is this ghosting thing going on? Everybody went nuts when Ian came back on as Duke ghosting, and now Carlos is back ghosting. Yeah, how He's on today too? Oh my! How exciting is this for you? Your fans are going nuts over it, by the way. Oh wow! Yeah, it's very exciting. I like playing ghosts. Well, you know, Ian was Ian was saying that that he really likes this ghosting thing that the writers are yeah. doing. Absolutely, there's a lot of room for uh, <clears throat> you can just kind of do whatever you want because it's all in the other person's head, and so you you are kind of it's a nice chance to uh, go broad with things. Mm-hmm. Not that you don't always have that chance in soaps anyway, but you can go even broader. But now, especially for you, Jeffrey, now with the character of Carlos, now that he's coming back ghosting, with the way the storyline is going, there's a lot yeah. of room for you to keep on ghosting Julian for for a while, isn't there? There certainly is. <laughs> so if Frank is listening, Frank needs to get on the ball with the writers. <laughs> That's right. And we may see Ghost Carlos again. We may. Yeah. We may or may not. Uh-huh. Well. I'm not allowed to say. Uh, you know, I, and I, I just brought this up to the girls about BFFs um, because both of you and Andrea as well, you all, you all have a soap background. Well, no, just like Andrea, I mean, I you did, came I on after General Hospital after BFFs, so I think BFFs trained me for General Hospital. Uh, so you know, this all falls on or or through osmosis. You got everything from Dan. Yeah. I learned everything that I needed to know to be on General <laughs> Hospital from being in the same movie as Dan. Well, you know, one life to yeah, live, one right. life to live, all my children. And Dan, wasn't your your wife was on General Hospital? Yeah, years years ago, yeah, <laughs> she was. So I guess I learned everything from her. Well, you know, so now now what is it about Let me ask you Dan since you were the one with the extensive background before coming into indie films. What is it about daytime television that makes actor, actors so much more prepared for these low-budget, no-budget, fast-shoot indies? Uh, I mean, I guess I guess it's just the, the speed and amount of dialogue. I, you know, I don't know if they do as much dialogue as they used to on soap operas. I really don't know because I haven't been on one in a long time, but... but uh, you know, they used to do just the the amount of dialogue was insane. I mean, it, it could be depending on your storyline. I mean, there was there was a day when I was on One Life to Live where 
both of my co-stars had one of them had 98 pages. Oh, Jesus. Oh. And uh and uh, see, I, I mean I don't even know if this That's exists. cruel and unusual. I don't know if this exists. Yeah, I don't know if this exists anymore. She she uh she shot a she shot like a a whole script and a half in one day. Uh-huh. Um and it was two show it was two shows basically. And it was 98 pages and then her co-star had 80 something 81 or something and i had 79 the three of us oh my god and uh and we were all in the scenes together obviously but she had the she was the main part and so she had 98 pages so you know i mean that's that's unusual i mean a big day normally would be like 30 pages or something but that's like how extreme it got at at times and Wow. It was remarkable that somebody could even do that. I mean, it's it's crazy. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so I guess that no matter what an independent film would throw at you, dialogue-wise, it would never be that. So, well, so I guess that would that would help. So um, whatever to not you be intimidated so, by. So whatever you got paid. Pages whatever. whatever you got paid for BFFs, then you were overpaid. Because this was a walk. Right. In, yeah. This was a yeah. walk in the park for you. <laughs> you don't know yeah. what we were paid for BFFs. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Clearly, I don't think anything. <laughs> yeah, nothing's ever a walk in the park for me. But uh, in fact, those ladies owe me some money. I think. Uh oh. Yeah. Uh oh. No question. But now I also understand that your mother actually thanked them, Jeffrey, for giving you a part of, for a guy that was a nice guy. That sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. What yeah, do you I don't get many of those parts. guys all the time, Jeffrey. <laughs> Yeah, usually I do. I don't know. Maybe it's oh, something in, I don't know, something in my eyes, maybe. Well, I mean, just... Or my aura. Well, even when you look at your one-offs, <laughs> Jeffrey, I mean, you've had Castle, you've had CSI, CSI New York. You know, you've had yeah. so many one-offs in these police shows and, and criminal things going back to 94 or so. That, yeah, mm-hmm. your poor mom, I'm sure she did get worried. That you, she did. She did. So you know now. I wondered you, why I was tracking all these bad parts and why I could play them so well. That see that that's the big concern. So then, how do you go about playing a nice guy like Scott? Um, I it, it it's a lot uh, easier actually. You just don't do a whole lot. <laughs> There's not a whole lot to put on top of things. I should say. Mm-hmm. But just strip everything away and and just um, it, it I it's it's much more you're reliant on the dialogue rather than putting on any sort of uh, character. Mm-hmm. Now, I'd like to think anyway. But what's interesting is that Dan, then you know, you had the darker character here, the snarky one. So yeah, I guess so. You know. So, you know, I don't think I realized that until I was filming. You thought you thought this was going to be just another nice guy that you're playing. No, I, I just never, I just didn't, <laughs> I just didn't realize it until I was actually on the set uh, working with Molly and actually doing the dialogue. It never occurred to me, to be honest with you. I just thought it was like a, you know, a troubled marriage. So to me, it's never, I never even thought about it until until basically until uh tara and andrea were basically just saying you're a prick <laughs> on the set and i was like after i would do a take and i was like oh 
I, okay. I didn't know that. I, I just, uh, I just, just, I just thought it was like a troubled marriage, you know. So I never really even considered it. Oh, well. I just know I like the. I just know I like the writing. That's 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 the reason I even did it. I just thought the writing was great. So, and I think so. in another context, your character could have been a nice guy. I think that they were just in the oh, yeah. height of drama of their of their troubled marriage, and shit comes out. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. You know, and Molly's character of Rebecca, she really pushed a needle to force that. So I, Jeffrey's right. You you could have been a really nice guy. You know, in another situation, <laughs> and it's Molly, yeah. and it, it's it's Rebecca's fault. Molly's fault. She it, was the bad person. See? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so, so now, what do you guys? You guys have such such a varied background with your one-offs, with the series that you've done. What do you look for when a script comes your way? Is it the writing? Is it the character itself? Is it do you have a preference between TV, film, stage? What any criteria here for how you pick such diverse roles? Dan, uh, well, okay. Uh, well, for for me, uh, listen. In a situation like this, when you're doing a low budget movie where where uh, it's not money, obviously because because there's no money to to, to make. Um, the only criteria for me in order to, to go to work for very little money is the opportunity to do something maybe I haven't done or to do great writing. I don't get an opportunity to do great writing very often. I mean, it's rare for me. And so, and, I, and I'm not at a point in my career, never have been, where I get to choose uh, that so much because I have to make a living. So, so for me, and that's not to, to say that, you know, everything they've done is, is not good or anything like that. I'm just saying that it, it, it's rare because it's a hard thing to do. And in this instance, uh, I read for a couple of different characters. So I actually went back twice and read for other roles in the movie, uh, bigger roles that were in the movie. And then uh, when I was finished, uh, they offered me this role. And so I took it because I was like, I don't ever get a chance to do this very often. And I think that the the writing is fantastic. And the one scene that we do uh, at in the in the uh, the group outside, uh, the last scene that we're in, Molly and I, uh, was was so well written that I thought, you know, I have to do this because I just don't get this opportunity very often. And so for me, the writing was everything. And what about for you, Jeffrey? Is it, you know, what is your criteria? And particularly with this one, did you read for multiple roles as well? No, for this one it was. It was the same thing. It was the writing. I mean, it was one of these scripts that you get and you just keep turning the page waiting for, like, ah, see, yeah, this is going to, oh, there's there's the jump of, jumping of the shark. And it never jumped. Like, every page was great, funny. And, and no, I only read for Scott. And usually, not not always, but usually, like when I really want something like this, it doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> when I get in there, and I because I because I know that it's so good, and I I can do it, and and something I don't know happens where I just I don't know. Maybe that's why I'm not I don't play the good guys. <laughs> um, but it happened. It worked, and I was really thrilled to be able to 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 see a part that I wanted to play from a great script that I wanted to be involved in, and then, then it worked. 
Now, how and I think the criteria for other stuff is just different, uh, dependent on where I'm at in my life and in my career. Mm-hmm. It, it varies. Now, do either of you that have... That was much better said than me. You were both extremely <laughs> eloquent. Extremely eloquent, yes, boys. Very eloquent. Yes, yes. You know, both of you. Let's, let's not play favorites uh, here. Both we'll, of we'll you. We'll call in for votes after this interview. <laughs> <laughs> so, now, now, are there any plans for both of you to really make a concerted effort to step behind the camera and direct episodic TV or feature films? Uh, I mean, I have. Well, I, I directed. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like we both have. So same. I know you've done. Yeah, some, you've done here. some. You know, I one of. I think one of you has done a doc and some shorts and. Yeah, that's me. Yeah. I've not directed a. Fe- well, I directed a feature-length documentary. Co-directed it years ago with Cree Summer, and but then the rest have been short documentaries and one short narrative film, and I would like to someday direct a feature. I mean, I have a couple of scripts that I've written, and yeah, that's that's in the that's in the work. I mean, that's in the plan. That's for sure. Any episodic television? Uh, not necessarily. No, no. I mean, it almost seems like these days, not that it's all episodic television, but even independent films. It's, it seems like we're all directing for TV these days. Because, say, BFFs, for instance, most people are going to watch it on their TV or on their computer. So. Mm-hmm. And what about for you, Dan? Same thing. Uh, I yeah, I directed a short film uh, a couple of years ago. Well, because it's more than that now. But uh, and yeah, I would love I would love to to uh, direct more. And uh, I, I haven't. I'm much lazier than Jeff. I, I have not uh, written a script. Uh, so so I think uh, one of the cool things about this project is that you've got two actresses that. Uh, wrote a movie together and put themselves in it and it was a good movie and I think that yeah. that's a, a prerequisite for Hollywood that's something you really need to be willing to do and uh, should do if uh, if you want to be an actor I, I think it's uh, probably the most important thing well guys I can't thank you enough for joining me today this has been just such a treat you know as I told Ian last week Jeffrey you know I'm making the, the general hospital rounds it seems <laughs> so many of the cast have been on the show already, past and you know, past and present cast oh, members, great. and it's always just and it's just by happenstance because you're all doing films and other projects. So, yeah, I mean, this yeah. is, this is spectacular, and I know that everybody, you know, now please, I know you have said this before, you love Ian Buchanan. Yes, he's amazing. Yes, Carlos Such is kind Carlos is not so Jeffrey. Talented. Carlos is not Jeffrey. <laughs> right. That's right, people. Stop coming up to me and blaming me for killing Duke. I didn't do it. Carlos did. Now, see these problems you don't have to worry about, Dan? Yeah, it's wonderful. <laughs> I don't have to get blamed for Being anything. accused of murder, Dan, on a daily basis. Yeah. yeah. See? Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know how you do it, man. Guys, I... Jeez. <laughs> I hope you guys will come back on the show again. I just love having you. Of course. Well, we're a team now. Thank you so much. So we will. We'll come back, right, Dan? You know, uh, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. You know, next we're going on the road, and then when we get back after tour, yeah. we'll we'll be back on the show. That that. Dan, by the way, I've got another interview coming up for this other movie that I did. I was wondering if you could join me. If that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't seen it. 
No, he did it. No, that's fine. Support him. I'll catch you up. (laughs) Oh my God, guys! You you are just you are you are just too hilarious for words. If people don't hire you after this, I'm not being held responsible because you are a comedy duo. This will definitely do it. (laughs) Yeah. Guys, thank you again. Well, I hope so because I was I was counting on it. Uh, Oh my God! Oh God! Yes. Yes. All right, guys. I will talk to All you right, both we're over again our soon. Of time. Well, no, oh, that's right. No, normally I would have let you go the whole half hour, but I'm squeezing in director Susanna White to talk about the new Ewan McGregor movie. Great. Oh well, that's much more important. Uh, that's right. We gotta go. You and sorry. I completely understand. All right. Well, it's a pleasure. Nice meeting you. Thanks, guys. Bye bye. And that was the hilarious duo of uh, Jeffrey Vincent Paris and Dan Gauthier talking about BFF, soap operas, and, of course, General Hospital. And now, Caitlin, is it you, Caitlin, or is Susanna on the line? Susanna. Hi, yeah. Susanna's here. So, hello, Susanna. Welcome, welcome to Behind the Lens. Thanks so much. How are you today? I'm great. I'm very happy to be in sunny California as opposed to rainy London. Well, rainy London and all other kinds of catastrophes in London right now. Right. Brexit London. Well, I have to say, I am so thrilled that you are here. I am so thrilled that you are on Behind the Lens because our, I am just, and, uh, our kind of trader is fabulous. Thank you so much. This is, number one, I am beyond excited to see you as a female director directing a Jean Le Care adaptation spy thriller this does not happen every day it's rare isn't it i think something crazy like three percent of thrillers are directed by women so uh, i was very lucky to get the opportunity to do it and um and to work with such a great bunch of people on it you know and especially a spy thriller and this particular one is so timeless and it's a much it's much more intimate than a lot of the spy thrillers that we see it's well, for- that's what I loved about it. When I read Hosomini's screenplay, it's very layered emotionally. I think it's it um, it has some. It's not necessarily what you'd expect um, of a John Le Carre film. It's um, it's in many ways it's the story of two marriages in the movie. It's a very emotional ride, mm-hmm. as well as having all the thrills and spills you'd expect in a thriller. So um, I, th- I think it's unusual, and that's why I fell in love with it. Oh, I mean, what you've done. And then you bring in Dodd as your cinematographer. I, I, I love him. Be- How lucky was I? I mean, oh. it was so fabulous. I, uh, poor man, I went on a mission to get him. He was shooting uh, Ron Howard's movie in London at the time. I wanted him, and I just would not leave the poor man alone because... <laughs> I I was such a fan of his work, and I knew how much he could bring to it. So I was completely thrilled when he agreed to do it. And and to do it with Sarah Greenwood, the designer as well, who's an amazing designer who'd done Atonement and Anna Karenina and uh, the Sherlock Holmes movies. Mm-hmm. So um, I uh, I got some great a team of incredible heads of department on the film. I mean, your visual grammar of this film tells its own story and it just it just adds another layer to the emotional journey that we're going on with 
Stellan Skarsgård's character of Dima and with Ewan, Ewan's character of Perry. Two men as different as night and day, but we see this great transformation as these two become friends, which sets us up for something we don't normally see in, in spy movies where the enemy becomes a friend and you've got to make a choice. Exactly, and uh, it was really thrilling working with, with two such great actors and watching, watching that relationship grow. You know, at the start of the movie, Ewan's character, Perry, someone really a bit of a lost soul. He, he, he's in a, a bit of a dead-end job. His wife's more successful than, than he is, and, um, and um, he's feeling very unsure of himself. And uh, and he falls under the spell of, of Stellan, as we all do, I think, as audiences do. <laughs> um, and uh, as you say, goes on an, an incredible journey um, of of growing through this relationship with someone who would normally be the villain of the piece. Mm-hmm. Um, so it has all kinds of surprises. The movie, I think, it it really does. And you know, and through it all, we also see you know you, the character of Perry finally becoming closer with his wife, Gail, and as a direct influence from uh, the character of Dima and his wife and his love of family and appreciation. And it's it, it, the intrigue of the emotional relationships is a story unto itself, and you have brought that out beautifully. Thank you so much. Well, that was something I really set out to do, so I'm thrilled to have you say that because, you know... Uh, on the page, there wasn't a lot for for Dima's wife. She didn't have a lot of dialogue, but I think by by improvisation and and uh, working behind the scenes, we made that relationship really come alive. And uh, I'm I'm so happy to have you say that about it because oh. to me, it, it's uh, something I really love about the film. Well, and you've got you have a lot of visual surprises here. This is but this was this is a very logistically challenging film that you have put together. This is not done on a soundstage. You are out on locations around the globe. We were in five countries. So we started in deep snow in Finland. Uh, then we shot in England for a while. Then we uh, we got on the Eurostar train from London to Paris, shot a scene physically on the train as we traveled. Like the cruise bags were in one com- carriage and we were in the next carriage shooting a scene between Ewan and Naomi. And uh, then we shot in, in Paris and we got on another train to Switzerland where we shot another scene as we traveled. And, um, and then we went to the, the French Alps. And, um, and then from there, we flew to Morocco, to Marrakesh, where we, we um, shot right in the heart of very busy Marrakesh at, at night. And it was something I really wanted for the movie that unlike other um, John le Carre films. It's a very contemporary story, and I wanted it to be grounded very much in the world now, mm-hmm. which is um, which is why we threw ourselves at things, you know, threw ourselves at real trains and um, and uh, at real Marrakesh, which was challenging. I can tell you, shooting, you know, our assistant directors had their work cut out shooting a crowd scene right in the middle of, of Marrakesh in the evening. Oh my! Uh, God. It was an adventure in lots of ways shooting this movie, but it looks beautiful and it puts the audience we are there with them we are feeling that ambient electricity 
and or and or in in the case of you know what's taking place in Russia, even though you shot in Finland, which substitutes beautifully for Russia in the middle of winter, right? You know, we feel the tension is palpable. You can cut it with a knife. It is so intense. I'm really glad all that worked for you. I mean. As I said before, I think the thing that I think sets it apart from other films in this genre is it is such an emotional journey. And uh, as well as having some, what I hope are very strong action sequences, Mm -hmm. you know, a a knife fight, which we shot in the Dorchester Hotel in London and another fight up in the mountains and um, big stunt with a helicopter. I think um, what, what this, movie takes you on is, is is a huge journey for for Ewan's character and for Stellan's character and um, so hopefully there's something for everyone in it well and how lucky are you to get to work with Ewan yet again after Nanny exactly. McPhee returns you get Ewan again you get Stellan you get Naomi but you also get Damian Lewis as the MI6 agent Hector he is brilliant plays this a, a double-edged sword with such ambiguity you never know whether to trust his character or not well that was a thrill to get damien i mean he, we cast we went a little bit out on a limb because in the book he is he's written as an older man with a shock of white hair and um the casting director came to me and said what do you think about Damien for this role it's not what's written and I I just thought that was a genius idea I was so excited to send it to him and even more excited when he said yes um and uh since then I just got to work with him a little bit on billions so he's become an, an actor um that uh, I'm very close to now and uh, I really loved what he brought to the film I mean in many ways he's the voice of John Le Carre he's the voice of um of a of a, a kind of morality about um what's going on in the british establishment mm-hmm. um but um like all the work he does he he just brings um real layers to it and again there are surprises to his character he's playing a divorced man um with his son's um been imprisoned by um by another character aubrey longrig and um He's a very lonely soul, which I guess is typical of, of many of the Le Carre books. There's a loneliness about Damien's character, which is really interesting. And I think especially interesting here set against the two marriages, which ultimately do work in the movie. Mm-hmm. No, it's just it, it, all the puzzle pieces fit together so beautifully, Susanna. I, I, Thank you. Thank I, you. I honestly didn't know what to expect with this one. Because this is different. It's not one of the Cold War pieces that we're so used to seeing. Exactly. It's a very contemporary film. And uh, that's what I set out to do, to maybe bring an audience that don't necessarily go to these films as well as the traditional one, I think. Um, You know, I I hope there's something for everyone in the movie, that that visually it's very powerful, that there's a kind of visual poetry about it. But it's... um, it's emotionally layered, and uh, if I've done my job right, keeps you on the edge of your seat as well. Well, I was definitely on the edge of mine. I can tell you that through the whole thing. Oh, just, thank you. Just an amazing job, Susanna. Unfortunately, now we're out of time on the show today. This has been a, such a treat to have you here, and our kind of traders in theaters this Friday. 
appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you, Susanna. All right. That is all the time we have today. We'll be out on i. The show will be up on iTunes tomorrow. Should be out online uh, on MovieSharkDeBlore.com and AdrenalineRadio.com later tonight. Uh, and we'll see you again in two weeks. Next week is Fourth of July, and we are off. So in two weeks, and we got a jam-packed show for you then. Until then, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens. Mm-hmm.